0: Welcome to Decades From Home, a podcast about the weird and wonderful side of living in Germany. And all without saying, die einzige Entscheidung, die du treffen musst, ist du selbst zu sein. I'm Nick Houghton of 40percentGerman.com and I'm joined by, well, not my co-host, Simon Maddox, because sadly, it looks like he might have COVID. So, we've uh, enlisted... Two to alternative co-hosts to join us for a very special Pride episode. So this week we are joined by, yes, two special guests, you lucky things. We are delighted to be joined for the third time by Marty, aka the Honourable Husband, on Twitter. And we're also very thrilled to have Marcy Snook, who is at Snooker Berlin, on Twitter with us for a special episode. So... First things first, I had a bit of a strange experience this week. Um, well, rather over the weekend. I spent the weekend enjoying one of the most sort of British events of the season, which is the Glastonbury Festival that happens uh, over this June weekend. And it's the first one since the pandemic, and it was amazing, and I listened to loads of music, found loads of new bands that I'd never seen before, and then found a new love for Paul McCartney, who headlined the Saturday Night Slot, and yeah, then when I left my bubble of Glastonbury on Monday morning and went to work, I discovered that no one, none of the people I work with, no, none of the students that I teach had any idea what Glastonbury was, and I felt suddenly very, very alone. And I'm wondering, uh, both of you, have you got similar experiences of being in a being in a bubble of of your own culture
1: and then suddenly discovering you live in Germany?
2: Oh, please, Marty, go ahead, tell us about it.
1: I grew up in Australia from the time I was a teenager, and the one bit of bubble I bring with me everywhere in the world that nobody understands is vegemite <laughs> and you know every Australian just gets sick of going around the world and Other people taste Vegemite, and they say, oh, no, that's terrible. But in fact, there is an art to eating Vegemite and spreading it thinly on your toast, and you have to have lots of butter or something to make it greasy, because otherwise it'll stick to your teeth. And then what you have is the perfect vegetarian kind of meat flavor for things. And Vegemite is is awesome, and uh, I can get it here in Germany, but it's fabulously expensive, And so we make do with, oh, I don't know, bacon or something.
0: (laughs) Bacon is a replacement for Vegemite. That's not the vegetarian option I was hoping for.
1: (laughs) We're not even going there, I tell you.
0: (laughs) Is the the price of Vegemite extortionate? Because that's something I've found.
1: Oh, yeah, yeah. And Tim Tams and all those other things. As well as, you know, I have a junk food palate honed around the world. And if I could find Heritage Fritos... Uh, I would pay anything for it.
0: What's a heritage Frito?
1: Frito is the predecessor to Doritos, right from the Frito Lay company, or I think it's the same one. And they're just the greasiest, most wonderful curved corn tortilla type chips made for dipping into obscene things, you know, avocado stuff. Marcy, you you must be a Frito gal.
2: I have definitely spent a good bit of time putting my hands inside of a Frito bag. Indeed. <laughs> Uh, where I come from, we have Frito Chili Pie. Did you have anything like that?
1: Me? Oh, no, 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 no. We, we were more pierogies. If you could put Fritos in a pierogi, we, we would have that in our
2: hamburger. Okay, so what we would do is Frito Chili Pie is, is actually the old nasty chili. These are restaurants, you know. Mm. Yesterday's hamburgers turned into today's chili. And then they they put a whole bunch of this chili crap over the Fritos and then cheese on top of that and then heat that up, probably in a microwave, and serve it. That is Frito chili pie, ladies and gentlemen. Oh, my good God. Probably very, very Midwest. I came through Kansas. Uh, We have chicken fried steak, which may sound, I don't know, a little weird. But what it is is truly the cheapest cut of steak with all kinds of gristle inside of it. They have to pound the living crap out of it, just like the schnitzel. And then they bread it just like schnitzel, but it's called chicken fried steak. And then they serve it under white gravy. uh, White, uh, yeah, it's got bits and pieces gravy, but white gravy. And it's the most wonderful way to judge the average mom and pop restaurant. You know, you you say, give me your Mm -hmm. chicken fried steak. And if it's crap, they serve it, you know, I don't know, with... French fries or something like that, but served on a plate with mashed potatoes, a big mound of mashed potatoes, white gravy, and the chicken fried steak. Everything's just doused in this gravy, and you know, there aren't a whole lot of things that taste much worse with uh, with a bunch of gravy on it. So, I I, I don't know. This... Is something that I go away and people don't know anything about it. East coast, West coast, nobody in America knows anything about chicken fried steak, but the Midwest. So
1: yeah, I thought you got the chickens to fry the steak. (laughs) You know, like 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 they're getting revenge. You
2: know, (laughs) there's a visual.
0: There's something I love so much about like American cuisine. And I say cuisine with like a a serious earnestness.
2: Oh, really? I'm thinking tongue in cheek. uh.
0: Nah, not at all. Not at all. I've got like a love for convenience food that is beyond, yeah, the love that I have for a lot of things. Um, That's going to say (laughs) something that would probably get me divorced. So I'm not going to say that. Um, I grew up on American culture. I grew up on Saved by the Bell. And I grew up on like um, sort of American television shows from a very early age. And or u.s culture has been a big part of my upbringing so when i got to the u.s it was basically just a tour of what i guess the sort of snobbish perception of europeans would say were like junk food but i was like this is amazing so it was like in n out burger taco bell i had we went to arizona was arizona i think it was arizona and i had for the first time i had uh, biscuits and gravy which i'd heard about And it was amazing and I felt like I was going to die of uh, a cholesterol overdose, but it was so good. And whenever I'm sort of around those particular people that you sometimes meet in Germany who have... They, they know everything about America and they, they have they have a highly negative opinion about America and they've never really been to America. They've met a couple of Americans somewhere one time once and it wasn't a good experience. And they'll say to me, ah, oh, America doesn't have a, f- a good food culture. I feel like slapping them and going like, have you had a, what is it, a chopped sandwich? Is that what it's called? When they like smash, like um, hackfleisch together and then stick it in a bun. And I'm like, it's amazing. <laughs> this stuff is amazing. It's not winning any Michelin stars, but... It's so good. It's so good. So nice.
2: It's still good food. Uh, okay, so every German I know complains because America doesn't have bread. Ugh. And this is the first Oh, you know, you can't find good bread. You can't find good coffee. You can't find good bread. Uh, all the mm. Germans have their opinions. So yeah, you know.
0: The the Germans go on holiday to discover how terrible the bread is around the world in the same way that the British travel around the world to find how terrible tea is in every country. It's the same shtick, you know, Um, and Americans travel around going, there's no freedom anywhere. So it's, we all have our little bugbears, right? But I mean, the bread thing, I went on holiday with my wife and her brother and his wife. And that was the thing that I had to deal with constantly was like, there's no decent bread here. And I'm like, just go to Panera bread. Yeah. Just get over yourselves
2: there are places you can go to a grocery store and there are 50 different types of bread it's the standard thing in america
1: but
0: it's all toast it's still toast
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah or they could find french fries that'll do right yeah
0: i mean you could get rid of every bakery in germany if we only got in and out burger and i would be like oh, i'm fine with that i'll live with it <laughs> like i don't care you can take you can take your pumpernickel um, and, and throw it in the bin and just have an in and out burger It is the most amazing
2: thing it is great stuff yeah
0: yeah i've, I've just lost my citizenship i just got an email <laughs> <laughs> yeah so it's been not the greatest weekend for general um, human freedoms as it was uh, announced on friday morning i think in europe was it early afternoon, that the US Supreme Court has decided Roe v. Wade is unconstitutional and have uh, effectively paved the way for various states to ban abortion and abortion rights in a very draconian fashion. Uh, One of the things that was equally as disturbing was the announcement that other freedoms were also on the chopping block and since this is a pride episode i thought it would be the opportunity to ask our lovely guests what they think about this this idea of the freedoms that have been established for for a very long time now being sort of taken away by what appears to be a very partisan court i mean, I'm, I'm assuming it's you don't have a positive feelings about it, but I'm just wondering, what, what, do, you, what do you think? Let's start with, uh, Marcy, why don't we start with you?
2: Well, I'm really sad to see it. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a given, right? It is something that was allowed for the people, that people were able to use, and they're taking it away. It doesn't even matter what it was. It was a civil right that is now being removed. Hmm. And the next thing is that, of course, as you said, they're going to continue. They've, they've got a list of things they want to get rid of, And it's just the beginning. And uh, for me, it's, of course, Roe v. Wade. It's sad to see it go. It is, um, I don't know, they're more than happy to take away women's rights and jumping up and down to do just exactly that. But then they're allowing the rights of somebody who wants to take a gun and, I don't know, kill all those children that managed to live without the abortion problem. So, um, I am so sad to see the, mm. the turnaround. I'm so sad to see the loss of civil rights. Uh, I've known from the minute we got the civil rights in the, you know, the, uh, gay and lesbians have moved forward slowly. I knew the minute we started to get this, that we would have issues. Uh, and so the next time somebody got in, in office that wanted to change, they've done that. They've worked long and hard to get this done. They finally are doing it. And, uh, now I don't know what else, I don't know what can even stop it, to tell you the truth.
0: Mm-hmm. How about you, Marty? What's, what's on your mind?
1: Yeah, no, the Supreme Court has said they are going after other rights, as you mentioned, Nick. And uh, when you start doing stuff like this, when you see a court doing something that so egregiously takes away the rights of human beings, uh, you find that there's resistance to it. The Supreme Court is not the only organ of government in the United States. That there are other ways, and I think what it's going to do is it's going to force, uh, you know, the legislature to uh, actually enact codify Roe versus Wade. I think that's going to happen mm. at the first opportunity. It simply has to, and the you know the public's for it. I was reading about sort of
0: the what the president can do in these situations. And, and I found it really interesting that they were referencing things like, this is an extreme example, a- Abraham Lincoln essentially ignoring the Supreme Court and effectively becoming a, a military dictator during the American Civil War in order to get what needed to be done, done. Or we could even reference in the 20th century FDR ignoring the Supreme Court when it said um, the, the New Deal was essentially un- uh, unconstitutional. So there is like things they can do, but remo- there's so little room for maneuver at the moment. That's what it feels like. If if the president decided to act by fiat, essentially, that obviously they can be overturned if 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 another if a Republican gets in uh, the next election. But also, it looks like he's a dictator, and that's how it'll be portrayed by the media. So it does seem like a horribly intractable situation that they're in. One of the reasons I brought this brought up this topic is. In, sort of ironically or weirdly at the same time as this was happening in the US that there was a decision by the German government to finally remove uh, a law that was banning uh, the advertising of abortion in Germany and it raised this question of, sort of Germany's perception of itself as this modern liberal country the perception outside of, of Germany as it being a modern liberal country and it it, it sort of underlined what we all kind of know when we're living here that it really isn't as liberal and and wonderful sort of utopia that people think it is when they talk about it. Um, and certainly when it's accused of being socialist, that's, that's a figment, I think, of, of, of American minds maybe. But this is the sort of thing that I think about in Germany a lot is... How liberal is Germany? I think you two would have quite an interesting perspective on this. So I'm going to start with you, Marty, because you're, in, you're like me in the conservative south in Bavaria. Do you feel like you live in the liberal utopia that everyone often talks about when they think about or talk about Germany?
1: Well, no place is a utopia, of course, Nick. That's, uh, that goes without saying. But I have to say, it is a good place. It is absolutely a good place, and it has been very good to me. It's been good to me and my husband, Marcel. So uh, what we need to get done to live here gets done, right? It doesn't matter whether, uh, you know, bureaucratic hurdles or, uh, you know, the tut-tutting of the uh, religious authorities, who still have a, a huge amount of influence, here in Bavaria, mm-hmm. and and the the scorn of conservatives. If you need it to live a decent life, it can get done, uh, and that's exactly what we what we've done. We have a civil union, which gives us, first of all, you know, the rights of spouses for immigration and for income splitting in tax. I have a dependent spouse, all of that stuff. You can get it done, and it has been over the course of um, since I think it was two thousand and one. When the courts here in Germany recognized uh, gay, lesbian, trans, you know, rights as part of the Grundgesetz, the preamble to the Constitution, that it was covered under the the fundamental uh, clauses of the Constitution that said every human should be treated with dignity. And Mm -hmm. in general, I think that's the case. I mean, uh, Germans afford each other a huge amount of dignity and respect and space and privacy. And that's been a real, um, real boon to me. And I've, I've always uh, appreciated it a great deal, even here in Bavaria.
2: Yeah. What about you, Marcy? Well, I've, I have to admit from Berlin, uh, it's, it's like uh, New York City is not, is not America because it is so so different from the rest of America. Berlin feels like this, at least to me, about the rest of Germany. Uh, But I must say, I was simply surprised to learn about the restrictions in the abortion uh, in in Germany. I I was also, I'm one of those people, oh, this is such a liberal place. I had no idea, A, of course, what they've changed with the now you can advertise poor doctors. uh, You can actually say you're doing this. And then uh, just the fact that it is actually rather restrictive, uh, and with just like in Berlin, yeah, there are a lot of rules, but there's a whole lot of people that are ignoring the rules completely. Mm-hmm. And uh, there is no one coming along behind and saying, this is illegal. Uh, the doctors are getting through the rules in the ways they can. And they make they make it happen, just like Marty says. Uh, no matter what, mm-hmm. if, it, if it needs to be, it can get worked out uh but i was i was 100% surprised as well i think of germany as this liberal bastion as well and it's yeah it's been 17 years for me now and i know a little bit different on that but oh well
0: yeah I didn't shock me, like because I know politics is becoming quite homogenous. Especially when we look at the sort of extreme ends of politics around the world, it, they all sort of follow a, a very similar playbook. But see, like the, the the very fact that this law was perceived as kind of like there would be sensationalized adverts on bus stops saying "get an abortion today," and it's like that was the argument that was being made by by. Um, certainly right wing critics and you're just like well no because that's never going to happen all it is is to be able to put it on a, a website saying we offer this service as well and the fact that there's th- silly things like the three day wait that you need to have to think about whether you want to have an abortion or not like it's like it's a kind of purchasing decision or something and I'm just like does these lawmakers or does anyone who's having this, this sort of discussion even know anyone that's had an abortion because if you did you would know that that isn't a that isn't something that's happening in those discussions. It's all this sort of figment of these sort of fervent right, right wing minds. And I'm like Marty in that. I feel like I'm, I live in quite a liberal place even though it is Bavaria and everyone keeps telling me it's very conservative down south but I still feel like I'm in a liberal space but my assumption about Berlin is always that it is the most liberal everyone's walking around naked everybody's <laughs> like like doing whatever they want and they don't care and you would never get away with that in a place like augsburg that kind of attitude as much my-
1: i don't know nick uh, right now i'm not wearing any pants <laughs> oh my good god marty what a reveal i'm in bavaria you know <laughs> all you, all you need when you work from home you need a uh, you know a, a zoom shirt and doorbell pants and i'm not wearing <laughs> either of them
2: doorbell pants i love it thank you marty
0: hey marty i'm gonna have to have a cold shower we need to pause this uh, podcast i'm afraid it
1: is it is the pride episode so uh, (laughs) (laughs) i'm proud that you now understand so much more nick
0: germany is the best version of britain that's like what i think all the time It's like it's got it's got it's got all the things that i loved about 80s um britain early 90s britain but it's still here it still exists like it's from something like like the grund cassettes which is something where there's like a rule of law and there's like a clarity this is how we behave this is how we do things but also like there's people on inline skates <laughs> <laughs> do you recognize bits of your own countries in germany and in the same way that maybe i do with regards to like sunday closing i always think about being a kid in the 80s and the shops being closed in britain and on and, and a sunday and it's still here in germany every shop closes on a sunday do you spot little aspects of your own culture and sort of go oh, yeah that's the that's the best version of, of of my my own culture perhaps
2: i don't know i, th- I think about the cars i think about the cars mm-hmm. and and the large motors and and speed on the highway, I think of this as mm-hmm. very, I mean it's it, it's quite, quite possible this came from Germany to begin with, but Americans definitely mm. wrap their heads around it. And I yeah. see that here.
1: I kind of feel that the cultures I've grown up with and experienced uh, there's a lot in common. I mean things like, for example, uh, in when I grew up, In Australia, in Adelaide, this was the 1970s. Yes, shops closed on Saturday and didn't open until Monday. So we had shopping hour legislation then. Uh, And things like that. Yeah, there's a a bit of that. I wouldn't call it old-fashioned. It's just there are many principles that Germany and most uh, European countries have in common with a lot of the rest of the developed world. Um, and you see that, I mean, things like, for example, no fault divorce is something that you have pretty much everywhere around the world and, uh, in these mm. places and the laws are understandable and it's just in Britain that's recently been, uh, enacted, mm. but I didn't find it, uh, unusual at all. And I don't, I don't think it's like back in the eighties because, you know, the eighties were quite distinctive in the places where I lived, but, um. I see enough in common that I get what's going on here. I, I know how to live. I imagine mm-hmm. that if I want to drive a car, I have to obey certain rules. I imagine that if I want to buy a house, I have to have a deposit. And I have to apply for a mortgage in the same way. All of those things are just part of the par for the course. And the little differences, like how you, uh, you know, before gay marriage became say, legal in America in 2015. Gay marriage became legal in Germany in 2015. It became legal in Australia in 2016, three places where I lived. Um, The ways that we got around it, the ways that we were able to live a a decent and dignified life, are pretty much the same in all of the places that I've lived. So I'm I'm, I'm leaning towards disagreeing with you there, Nick.
0: (gasps) Oh, my God. It's a painful moment. I'm only used to agreement. I'm a snowflake. Remember, I need uh, I need everyone to agree with me. Otherwise, no, I don't know. I don't know what it is. I think I think there's this little there's little moments that I have, and I don't think it's every day. And I think you're right. A lot of the things are universal, sort of things that you'd expect. Maybe it's more to the fact that I look at Britain and I see how far it's regressing with with uh, r- refugee policies or with. And the right to demonstrate, and all these little things. And I just see this very regressive country that I used to know uh, off the north coast of Europe and then i see all these little things that i'm like i recognize that from my childhood or i recognize that from from when i was at university or like you just sort of pick these little things up so i think it's more to do with maybe it's a sense of nostalgia or sadness about what i've what i've maybe lost but also gained at the same time so there's there's definitely that
1: yeah well some of my tribes still have the inline skates just
0: (laughs) oh yeah how could you not So when we were organizing the episode for today, Marty, you posted quite an old article, I think it's a Deutsche Welle article, called Same Sex, Love Exiles, Take Refuge in Germany. And I thought it was an interesting article and I thought it was an interesting jump and off point because it felt like, and certainly Marcy, you mentioned this as well, that it's a bit dated and, and it feels like from maybe maybe a, a very early time in your lives or your experience in Germany. But this idea that people were coming to Germany or to European countries to escape restrictive um, laws or uh, to gain rights. Uh, that they wouldn't have in their own countries is that where you both started did you start as as love exiles did you come over because of all the lovely freedoms that
1: germany afforded
2: oh go for it marty tell us about it
1: that particular article you might note refers to both marcy and myself we were the human interest in the human interest story right and um, and it was also written by a former guest of yours in courtney
0: Tense. Ah, yes, I did notice that.
1: Yes. Yeah, yeah, she, she did that, and she interviewed both of us. But uh, I was in a bit of a predicament. I'd been transferred from Australia to, uh, from Melbourne to Tokyo. And on, like, the first month I was there, I met my now husband. I call him that, even though he is a civil partner. Um, and, uh, you know, it was on for young and old for about five years when I when we lived together in Tokyo. And it was a fantastic time, and I could go on for a long time about that. If you're a fan of convenience food by the way, Nick, then do go to Japan. It, you'll be blown away by it. I've
0: been trying for years.
1: I was transferred then when my tenure with the company in Tokyo ended, the posting ended, transferred to New York. And this was in the time of the Defense Marriage Act in the United States, which said the federal government could not recognize same-sex partnerships for immigration purposes. Individual states could recognize same-sex partnerships for inheritance or tax or, or whatever, but you simply couldn't uh, use a same-sex partnership as a reason to immigrate. What 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 year was this? Well, this was, let me think, this was 2005, and five six. My God. And so, uh, you know, I was transferred to New York, Masa couldn't follow. Uh, and so uh, after doing it long distance for two and a half, three years, we decided to look for jobs someplace where we could live together. right? And it turned out Germany was the place that came up. And the job that I got was a great job I might have taken even if I didn't have to. And from then, was on for young and old. Massa joined in 2008. We got our civil union. And this is one of the little things. When you talk about Conservatives in Bavaria, when you had the Civil Union or partnership signed, um, many couples did it in around the country. Did it in the town hall, you know, a normal place, the marriage registry office. Uh, whereas in Bavaria, you had to do it behind closed doors in a notary's office. So. And that's changed now. So those little needles where the opponents of the idea of same-sex partnerships just throws whatever they can into the mix to just make it difficult or show that they disapprove, um, you know, that actually disappeared. And it was as late, uh, you know, as early as 2010-11, I think, that we attended our first, you know, same-sex wedding uh, in uh, a town hall. 2011 big shout out to lee and juan carlos which was a Briton with uh, german nationality as well and his cuban uh now husband of course they had a fantastic marriage ceremony and it was in the, the town hall i might add the the dancing was like you know cuban dancers at a wedding reception it was pretty oh boy can that boy dance and and that was interesting. So in, uh, in Bavaria, what we had to do, I mean, in Germany, there's a lot of precautions taken that none of these marriages between people who had a right to live in Germany and people who were going to migrate because of, because of the spousal relationship to make sure that wasn't you know, marriages of either convenience or, or whatever. So there was a lot of paperwork to go through, certificates of no impediment to marriage. And I did that uh, in Australia, but Australia had enacted... a a law conservative government again when gay marriage started taking off in the 1990s the conservative government enacted something to say that they would not provide any support for australian citizens of which i'm one uh, to uh get any of the paperwork that says you are not married in australia right um and it was amazing because the the guy at the at the australian embassy He filled out the form, and it said, you know, I was marrying, uh, because, you know, my husband Masa has a Japanese name, and it's not obvious which gender it is. So he filled it out, uh, like, as, you know, Miss Masahiko, you know, whatever, Mm -hmm. and, and like, they wouldn't notice when (laughs) when we fronted up with the paperwork or whatever. But in the end, I managed to get uh, some kind of thing from the state of Pennsylvania, and it was all cool, you know, because they, they had one piece of paper that said that. But Masa's, uh, you know, the Japanese consulate was very, very easy to, to deal with. But we had this and we had to get translators, right? So I had an English translator, fantastic woman, who was actually the head of the um, Translators Association at the time. And she brought her dog, who was one of the witnesses, of course. <laughs> and and Masa found his Japanese translator. And they'd both they'd actually both done a lot of work, the Japanese translator and the English translator, in prisons. So they had a nice little chat about that in German. But then, you know, the whole thing with the notary in front of us, um, you know, I would be sitting at one end and say things in English, and then my translator translated it into German, and then the Japanese translator translated it from German into Japanese. And I went backwards and forwards a bit, up and down the line there for most of the things it came to the bit where the bit where they said well which name are you going to go under of course we all we're going to keep our names we're not subscribing to this you know doctrine of outdated doctrine of chattel marriage or anything (laughs) but we had to but we had to kind of say oh what do you think you know, and and do the little you know, duck the head behind the translators and say, "Of course, we're going to keep our names, right?" Uh, and that's and that was just like you know, the the notary had a very a very stern look on her face when that happened. So, but anyway, it was all it was all fine. The translators were our witnesses who signed the papers, and the dog kept quiet while while he was there. His name was Cuddles, appropriately, um, and we went home and watched um, Tatort. I think. And that was it. What a honeymoon. Well, you know, we're obviously in support of gay marriage, right? But we're not terribly into gay weddings. I mean, not our own. Please, everyone, keep inviting us to gay weddings. They're great. But um, but no, we, we just couldn't stand up in front of everybody and do the you-may-now-kiss-the-groom kind of stuff. Ugh, we would just mm. melt with embarrassment. But we're here, and we haven't upgraded our our civil partnership to uh, marriage because we don't really need to. Mm.
2: Yeah. So what Marty's referring to is, is about what was it? 2015. Yeah. Germany came up and said, okay, then this whole Lieben's partnership, this civil partnership, it can now be regular marriage, but yeah, Mm. you have to go and you have to pay to have that changed. Um, and so he didn't do that. Yeah, I understand.
1: It wasn't the money, Marcy. It wasn't the money. <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, for me, it was, the marriage was pretty much falling apart by the time that was happening. So I was kind of like, ah, I'm not going to do that.
1: But it was a wonderful love story. Well, uh, between the two of you. Yeah. yeah. I, I always, I always looked up to you and, and sweet Nora.
2: Yep. So we met in 2001 online. Uh, AOL was the thing that brought us together. Oh, wow. Yep. And, uh, and we, I don't know, it took some years. We, we played around and decided, oh, maybe, maybe she could come there. Maybe I'd go there. It wasn't really Mm. my thought to leave my career and, and my family and everything to come to Europe. It wasn't, it wasn't in my cards actually. And uh, she, she, we tried to get her to come. And of course, this was long before Obama. This was everything. There was no possibility for any kind of immigration as a gay couple. And uh, so I kept telling her, every time you talk to an official, you can't even say the, this whole gay thing because mm. they will knock you out of of all kinds of contention. So um, we decided we would try to get her to America as a student. And, okay, I'll put her through university and we'll do this. Uh, yeah, it was quite some time ago. And I thought, well, let's try this out. And she had been to America to visit me at least, I think, three times per year for the previous two years. Hmm. She would stay at months at a time. And when she went in for the student visa, the the person at the embassy here in Berlin looked at her and said, I think you're working there. And I think you're a a risk to overstay there. And uh, no, I'm not going to give you this visa. Bloody hell. So, uh, yeah, there were lots of tears. It was not good. And it took some time. And then I said, okay, fine, I'm coming. It took me a year to calm down everything, to slow the career, to sell the house, to get out and yeah then okay i'm coming to germany and it was it was a little bit easier it was nicer for me and and nora because we had uh, her german citizenship she it was an automatic and it had been just a few years before that the, everything changed and the civil partnership about the only thing that it really did was the immigration situation so it allowed me to come. It allowed me to immediately get all benefits of, of Germany to work immediately because I was getting married. Um, we got married. Uh, we were allowed to get married in the Rathaus Schöneberg. Wow! Totally, and uh, uh, in the absolutely gay neighborhood uh, of Berlin, and uh, really enjoyed the the benefit of. The people before us were actually a civil partnership, and the people after us were actually a civil partnership. Uh, but there were a few people, uh, straight people marrying as well, of course, but it was really nice to know that there were so many. And there was, there was not even a, a, an eyebrow lift about our entire situation. The only eyebrow lift we got was because we actually share a birthday. And the, the lady looked at our paperwork and was like, oh, uh, I think maybe somebody messed up the dates here. No, no. We share a birthday and we're getting married on that day. So, yeah.
0: You got married on your birthday?
2: Yeah. We got married on our our birthdays. Yeah. Our birthdays. Oh, yeah.
0: Oh, yeah. Your birthdays. Yep.
2: We yeah. got married on our birthdays. And uh, that was the only eyebrow that was raised. Um, we We had no problems at all. I had no problems with America. Uh, Marty had problems, you know, showing that he was not uh, ever married or whatever. We had no problems with this with the America as uh, paperwork was a no, pra- no banner. It went so smoothly. Hmm. And I was, I was feeling like Germany was the most awesome place ever for allowing this, truthfully. Hmm. And it did take uh, America some years before they got anywhere close to this. Uh, so it was. It was a good thing. I, I have nothing but positive thoughts on Germany and gay people in general and gay rights in general, and they've only gotten better and and increased. So I'm I'm quite happy here.
0: Yeah. Wow. I mean, it sounds so positive. <laughs> it's the, I, I like it. It's it's a, it's a real change from sort of you. you it's kind of come to expect the experience certainly of Americans and British people, and you see it online. Is everyone just constantly complaining about some minor thing but you're talking about very big topics with with a a massive amount of positivity makes me feel really good thank you for coming on (laughs) this is better than me doing therapy (laughs) (laughs) yeah so so but so you're saying that it was like almost as soon as you arrived it was already doors open freedoms that you didn't have before
2: absolutely i mean i was instantly once again instantly allowed to work instantly allowed to Mm -hmm. stay Instantly had insurance since I had no job yet. I had I was allowed insurance from her job immediately. Everything was so clean and so so easily done, and I mean I I must also say that I mean she as a German citizen she she worked her way through the paperwork and it was there was a considerable amount of paperwork. I also had to have a translator. Um, in fact, the translator sat between my wife and I as we got married. Mm. It was rather interesting. And she had to whisper in my ear the entire time. <laughs> and uh, so this was interesting, but uh, it was, once again, completely positive experience and I loved it.
0: Yeah. I don't want to be suspicious, but it's weird that both of you talking about half and half translators. Like, I, I think, I don't know whether that's because it was a het marriage or whether it was because I'm British or EU status or whatever, But at no point did anyone, early on, but I think when we applied for the the Shtandarsamt process... And we were getting married in a different place from where we lived so we had to go see both standards arms and speak to them and speak to various different beamters. uh but there was only in those discussions was it was it asked do we need a translator and my wife very sternly said no i'll be honest i think i might have needed a translator i, I don't know what i agreed to <laughs> uh, so um i don't know um yeah but but so we didn't have the translator at all and and, and we did the standards the only bit that was weird was we did do the church wedding And the bit where it was a weird service because my dad's a vicar and so he did half the ceremony in English and we had a a Catholic monk doing the other side of it, which I wasn't entirely happy with. But there we go. It's my wife's sort of family decision. Fine. And there's a bit the bit that I did remember him saying in German was, um, and do you promise to raise your children in the Catholic church? And I remember what well, my wife said, yes. And I just went, <laughs> what? <laughs> and so I looked at her, like a, a-, a skew. And I was like, yeah fingers crossed <laughs> yeah and i felt like saying we're not fucking coming back here um there's no way there's no way i'm putting my child through that level of guilt we're going to go for the anglican church where we drink tea and, and eat biscuits at the end and sort of rather sort of middle class and nice but it is interesting that you had to do all was it i mean was it just automatic here's your translator or was it was it a discussion that you both had to have,
2: or? Well, since I didn't really understand what they were asking or anything, I, I was mm. kind of like, "I don't know." I, my wife was asked, "Does she understand German?" and she said, "No."
0: Ah, right. That'll be it. So this
2: is this is part of the deal. Understood. So I think that that's where it hit. And you, Marty? Well, I I
1: knew a little German, but massa none. So we just had to have the full box and dice, right? and it was a really good experience actually having the translators because you know we didn't have family to witness or anything like that it was it was very cool and i liked both of them extraordinary women so Mm. i remember the notary in the course of the ceremony said this is only good if you both intend to make a permanent life in germany and of course uh through my translator i said yes Masa's translator fantastic she eventually said yes but she gave a little speech saying how courageous Masa was and he's you know changing his life for love and how it's all yeah you know, it, it was it was it was a beautiful thing it took a while though but it was beautiful Aww,
0: but it is I mean that is nice that is such a beautiful thing I think it's easy to pat ourselves on the back and go oh, isn't it great we moved we all move for love in various different guises but at the same time I think my intent my sort of thought is to go ah oh, for sure no not at all like it's just that's what happened, but I do think I think when you when you talk about these stories, you, it, and, and certainly when you look at it from a perspective of several several years, it is an achievement. I think, and I think it's nice that it's it's there was no one saying that in my, in my wedding. They're just like it was my three older brothers going, "Yeah, it's Bob bloody time, your bell end." <laughs> and I'm like, Oh right, cheers!" Like that was what I got. um so I I do think it's, it's, it's really significant when somebody points it out. I remember I had a friend, a friend of a friend who just couldn't get over the fact that I'd moved to Germany to be with my, my wife. And he would, he brings it up every time I see him. Ah, I still can't believe you're here. <laughs> like, Where do you think I'm going to go? I'm like, we've got a kid now, you know, like, well, uh, we bought a house. I'm stuck. I can't, I can't leave even if I wanted to.
2: Well, you know, along that same line, when when I, you know, I called my family and I said, hey, uh, just to let you know, I'm getting divorced. Wow. And, you know, I I come from a religious family as well, you know, and so it was like, oh, really? Okay. Um, Are you coming back? When are you coming back? And and I said, "Uh, no, no, Berlin's home. Oh, but, you know, we thought that if it's over, then you should come back. And no, <laughs> thank you. I'm really happy here and I'm not going anywhere. Mm. And uh, it was very interesting that all of my family was, when are you coming back? Uh, my European friends, the first thing they had was, uh, okay, are you allowed to stay here? Uh, yes, I had, I had taken care of all of that. I was, I was not a European citizen. It wasn't an automatic Hmm. Uh, but I had, uh, I had the, the allowiveness basically unlimited, uh, to stay here. And this was, that was the end of that. Uh, it was no question whatsoever. So I'm, I'm, hmm. I'm a Berliner. I love this place. It's going to, there's something really bad going to happen to, to take me out of here. But, uh, hmm. uh, yeah, the wife and the ex-wife and I actually, we just finally got divorced I think four years after the fact. Uh, we finally mm. just did the paperwork, and uh, we yeah shook hands and called it a day. And, yeah, mm. that's the end of that.
0: Was it Was it four years to write all the paperwork? because clearly. It'll actually,
2: be... she put it off for a long time, and uh, one day she called me up and she said, "Hey, uh, new girlfriend thinking about adopting the kids need that I said yeah, mm-hmm. no worries let's let's get that going. But you get to pay mm-hmm. for it. <laughs> 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 uh, she, did, she didn't she didn't go with that. It cost us so much more to get divorced than it did to get married.
0: Really is it like a financial penalty?
2: The biggest expense for for getting married was the was the translator and I think we paid well over 3,000 euro to get divorced.
0: Holy shit.
2: So, yeah, don't do that, guys. Don't get divorced or maybe just don't get married. But it was the only way I was going to be able to stay here. And that's the only reason why we did it.
0: I'm slightly disturbed now realizing that maybe the only reason my wife hasn't divorced me yet is that it's financially. um,
1: (laughs) (laughs) Just a question. I mean, did you... Did you and Nora, um, upgrade to a wedding, uh, to marriage or are you, was it still a, a partnership? It
2: was still a partnership, And so the, it wasn't, it wasn't more expensive because it changed. Um, we were kind of on the, you know, eh, maybe it's not reasonable for us to get the, the, the connection to go the whole way into true marriage. Because once again, that was going to cost money too. Hmm. And paperwork and time and bullshit. And, uh, we had everything we needed. I needed the allowance to stay in Germany. Uh, we had the tax, the tax information was correct. And that was all we really needed. So we never did that. Mm.
1: Uh, I was, I was going to say that, you know, we're, we're of the same mind that if it ain't broke, don't fix it. There's no reason for us to, you know, get married, married. When the civil partnership is, is actually, I mean, just from, in terms of what our social uh, beliefs are, uh, you know, is what maybe is what all marriage should be, the civil partnership that just is an agreement between two people to combine resources and uh, other things into a family unit. I have the permanent residency. I got that through my job because I was kind of senior enough in the position uh, that I got the hochqualifiziert visa. But it means that Massa's visas depended on mine. Unless he decides to learn German and uh, you know do the do the whole assimilation course, which he's a little bit reluctant to do, <laughs> um, but we have to go back to the uh, city office every I don't know four years, five years, just to prove that we're still you know, partners. We're still married to each other. Mm.
0: Okay, you two. So we've talked about some quite deep topics. We've talked about some quite romantic topics. Uh, and we've learned a lot about your arrival in Germany. One of the things we've maybe not talked about, which we probably should on a podcast that's focused towards the German culture, is maybe language. Now, this is my opportunity to learn from you both. Learn some vocabulary. My wife always keeps telling me, learn the vocabulary uh, and the grammar and everything else too. So uh, improving my German... Is is the hope that I have here? Could either of you maybe tell me some language that I probably uh, don't know that's that's used in the LGBT community, or is a language that maybe isn't? I would I would not encounter, uh, given that I'm I'm just some boring straight bloke.
1: <laughs> My impression, and uh, Marcy, you can you can correct me, is that a lesbian type language is pretty similar. To English I mean lesbisch uh, for example but when you get to men it's a little bit more difficult because the sex researcher Magnus Hirschfeld in the uh, started in the late 1800s and went right the way through until the uh, the National Socialists destroyed his library and research he was a, a sex researcher in Berlin and a gay man himself and he said that gay men a slightly warmer skin temperature, and therefore gay men could call each other "warm brothers." So, uh, and of course, we know we know that that's not true. Gay men have the same temperature as straight men. Of course, that's no no problem. We maybe get a little more excited more often, but that that's that's a misleading thing. Maybe we sweat more often. I don't know, but that kind of originated, I think, a lot of the the slang around gay men because, as you know. Schwul is the word for a gay man, right? Or just generally for gaiety. Um, and that always, like in my head, seems to sound a little bit like schwul, which is mean, meaning moist or damp or humid, right? Um, and I think that's that's where, where the word came from, but I uh, could, be, could be wrong. But I know we have a few, uh, in our circle of friends, Marcy, you and I, we have a few gentlemen who... Have a nice little code word called moist. Is this moist
2: enough? <laughs> oh yes.
1: So, <laughs> so that's that's the thing. But is he moist enough? That's always the question. Yes, yeah. Yeah, that's right. Do you think he's moist or just just damp for the evening? Right. You know, those yeah. those kinds <laughs> those kinds of questions. No, no, he
2: totally looks dry. He's dry. Oh yeah, he's
1: he's, he's he's arid. Yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah. But
1: But. Um, but it's interesting because if you say, you know, warm is kind of slang for, for gay as well. And so in the German language production of the producers, now just get your head around that. Mel Brooks's producers had a German language version, which originated in Austria, like I guess is appropriate. But um, they, they there's a song in the producers, in the movie and in the, the stage play, uh, which... It plays on the fact that this, this piece that's set in 1962 uses the right. word gay in the modern sense, and it's called keep it light, keep it bright, keep it gay is the way the song goes. Um, but, of course, in the German language version, it's kind of uh, keep it light, keep it bright, keep it warm. And everybody knew what they were talking ah,
2: about. So okay.
1: I, I recommend the German, if you can get the, the soundtrack, the German language version of the producers is actually much better, right? Except you have half the laughs because all of the laughs that came from Mel Brooks's original play and film that involved speaking in a silly uh, Hogan's Heroes type German accent doesn't work here in Germany. But apart from that, it's a really fantastic. Uh, thing. So anyway, that's, that's all I got on language there. Because, because you know, I mean, you have to learn. If you're going to go out and do the deed, you have to d- learn body parts and, mm-hmm. and things yeah. like that. But even straight people have to do that.
0: I just point. It's fine for me.
2: Uh, <laughs> <laughs> want that. <laughs> I, want,
1: I want those bits. I, I imagine you're pointing all the time actually (laughs) well you know i mean is is there an occasion in your life when you're not uh pointing i don't know (laughs) when i was your age Uh,
0: i don't i don't don't want to give away any company secrets you know like it's let me just let me just keep that to myself Uh, you remember i'm british right and now i feel incredibly uncomfortable (laughs) Uh, so so i'm going to move as quickly as possible to a different topic I can make you
1: awfully relaxed. I'm oh,
0: well. I'm, I, was, I was hoping you'd invite me to Oktoberfest. Um, so, <laughs> so uh, yeah, moving moving to like Nick's dumb sort of question, sort of yeah, whatever this this bit of the podcast is. It's probably Nick's dumb questions. I've got. We had a discussion yesterday about the um, Saint Christopher Parade and the celebrations around. Uh, pride and there there was two there's two sort of strands of conversation happening when we discussed this yesterday one was the commercialized parade and and is it still meaningful if you have Goldman Sachs and, um, I don't know, Coopers with, with a float out, out showing their pride. And the other side was how many flags there are. Now, the flags question is not something I'd actually considered. i just say, oh, there's some flags, great. Let's everyone be represented by flags. But, I mean, it, w- these two strands, the, I guess the first one would be I mean, it, it, like, the, the, I've never been to the, the, the St. Christopher uh, Parade, so you'll have to tell me. I mean, what's this thing with the flags? Is, is, there a, is, is it just that there's lots of them, or is it that you can't see past them because there's so many? Or, like, what's the deal with the flags?
2: The first thing I've got to tell you is not the St. Christopher uh, Parade. It is Christopher Street Day, CSD.
0: Is it not a parade though?
2: It is it is a parade but it, Right, it's, hang on then. <laughs> it started out it started out because the the modern western gay revolution started mm-hmm. in New York City. Right. On a street called Christopher Street. Right. And the first celebrations after the the main riot the next year they started having this and they called it Christopher Street Day. They closed off the street and they celebrated there. There was actually I think there was no parade at that time. It was just a big neighborhood party talking about that what we did last year was so great. And mm. uh, so they called it Christopher Street Day. And then this came over to Germany the next year.
0: Mm. And
2: they called it Christopher Street Day as well.
0: Right. And that's
2: why CSD and that's why in America we don't talk about Christopher Street actually in gay pride. It's – it was – news to me when I came here about it. I knew mm-hmm. about the Stonewall Inn. I knew about mm-hmm. the fact that it was in, in Greenwich. It was, it was on Christopher Street, but I had no idea what that was all about. And so that's usually one of the first questions I get from straight people. What is a CSD and why are the Germans using this English? Uh, yeah. That's exactly why that is. Um, the flags, uh, the flags is a, is a thing. Uh, I was the, the last one I was at was 2019. It was the huge, huge party. And every everybody's got a flag a different uh, purples and pinks and blues and pinks. It's crazy with all these flags. And my friends, I, I take some straight friends with me always, you know, trying to indoctrinate. That's my job. And uh, I'm always <laughs> taking these folks and, and uh, the first question is, oh, what, did, what, what flag is that? And I'm, I'm feeling kind of like bad because I don't know. I have no idea. The blue and the pink, I, I don't know. Maybe they're bisexual because they right. look like they might be bisexual. A man is walking with a woman on one side and a man on the other side. OK, I'm going to say that one's bisexual. Mm. Uh but th- the flags there must be eight different varieties and there is a I'm sure there's a there's a code somewhere for what each one of them means but it just seems like everybody comes up with I'm this today and I'm going to be something different and uh, I need a flag for this. Um I remember when it was the gay pride flag with the six colors and then I remember the bears got theirs so these are the the husky men with lots of fur. Uh, the bears got a brown and white and black one, if I remember right. And then there was always the one that had the pink triangle, which of course mm-hmm. came from Germany and their, their little problem. And uh, so we've had many, many different flags. But uh, in learning about the flags recently, I've kind of... I found a key, and uh, I'll share it with you guys. I'll give you the website, and you can put that in your show notes. All oh, well, right, that'd be excellent. Yeah, I think everybody needs to know what the the blue and the pink means because how would you know if your kid comes home and said, "Mom, Dad, I'm queer, and here's what I am," uh, then how are they going to know if they're non-binary or if they're trans or if they're bi- if they're bi? Who knows? So now you will have an educated guess on that. Marty, what do you think about the flags thing?
1: Well, I think uh, may a thousand flowers bloom. It doesn't, matter. <laughs> it doesn't matter if I don't know what they mean, frankly. It's meaningful to the people who wave them, and I think it's great to watch them and support them and all that. So I'm not, I'm not fussed about that. I will be waving a rainbow flag because it kind of fits. It's sort of the one that nope. I have always used when I have waved flags about. Um, and that's all fine. So it's no it's no big deal to me that there are these thousands of different flags and isn't it interesting? Uh, I do think, and I'm sure listeners will correct me or us uh, on this, I do think that the pink and blue flag has something to do with our trans friends.
2: Could mm-hmm. be. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, I think so. Uh, and would love to, to hear the explanation on the website that you have. But as far as I'm concerned, this is all great. It's, uh, you know, when you've grown up in an era as gay men with the hanky code. And everyone's complaining uh-huh. how complicated flags are. They ain't seen nothing compared to the hanky code, right?
2: Oh, Marty, tell us about the hanky code, because this is so sad that you don't have this anymore. There's nothing like this anymore.
1: Well, they, well, I, look, I, I have to say this was actually before my time, because, you know, I, I look older than I am, as it turns out. But, um, <laughs> but you know, it, where, where gay men went to a bar and tried to pick each other up, They would often have, you know, whether the the hanky, the handkerchief was in your left or right pocket, said whether you were a top or a bottom or what you wanted to do and the color was what you were into and all that kind of stuff and things. So again, it was before my time and I was just making a joke about that, uh, the hanky coat. I don't know anything about it. But there's always been complicated symbolism to say, yes, I do this or don't do this. And you, you know, when even talking to each other is is so charged and often a complicated thing to do, um, under those circumstances, it, it helps a little bit to do that. You don't make assumptions about people, unless they choose to reveal the you know the, these things about themselves.
2: Yeah, unless they choose to to throw out their flag and show you, hey, this yeah. is this is me. Yeah, uh, that's
1: right. Yeah, I think I could be interested in that flag. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> But then again, it's not something, I mean, uh, it's an interesting thing, you know, the hanky code compared to the flag. The flag is much bigger. It's more about more, <laughs> yes, I mean, bigger symbolically, <laughs> right? You, you don't put the flag in your back pocket, right? But um, <laughs> but it's, uh, but, you know, it means something which is a little bit bigger. It means something, what you do outside of the bedroom or, or kitchen, it's your birthday or something.
2: As a, as a girl who grew up in Kansas, I've always had a little bit of pride knowing that the originator of the six six color flag came from Kansas. Really? Tell me about yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. Um, I I wish I could. I wish I could tell you more. But it was a a young man living in a in a town that really had no gay people, and he moved to uh, one of the coasts. I'm sure it was L.A. or something. And uh, it was one of the first things he did is he came up with the the rainbow flag. And originally there was pink inside of there. I do remember that. Mm-hmm. And they removed the pink because it didn't uh, match the other colors so nicely. And uh, it's truly the rainbow thing. I mean, that's mm-hmm. that's what they really did. But uh, the, what is it? It's green piece has a rainbow flag too. So I was always kind of confused.
0: Mm. I'm with Marty on the idea of like, well, isn't it great like we've gone from this covert symbolism to this super overt symbolism and it's just like when i see when you see this especially during pride and you see people with flags or putting them on the balconies or whatever and i'm just like fuck yeah man that's totally cool like everyone's got a flag as long as it's not a union jack then i'm fine you know i'm (laughs) totally happy with it but i I just think it's I, i i always thought it was like a real positive and I mean I'd love to I'd love to go to the Christopher Street parade. Look what I've learned. Good man, uh, good man. <laughs> educated now. Um, <laughs> I would uh, I'd love to go and and like I'd love to see it cuz it, it just sounds such like an amazing celebration. Yeah.
1: Well, what you should do, what you should do is come to Munich at Christmas time because we have a gay Christmas market, which is good value. What? Yes, yes, the the, the Chris Kindle Markt is uh, the it's called Pink Christmas. And it's in the in the gay neighborhood. And uh, it's, uh, you know, generally the, the, the trinkets you can buy are pretty, you know, tinsely. Um, and the food is a little better than, than you would find. But the thing is, in the middle of this town square, they've hung a mirror ball and DJ every evening and drag queens cracking jokes. And it's all very, um, it's all very cool.
2: Berlin has one as well. It's Surprisingly. in the neighborhood <laughs> as well. And uh yeah, I think there was a disco ball, I remember that. But I remember a lot of the food was actually penis shaped.
1: That was a coincidence.
2: <laughs> that was a coincidence. You sell sausages like penis. I was gonna say, like you're selling
0: sausages, what do you expect? Well it's been a long yeah. time
1: since I've um, you know, given the thought to uh, how can I put this lady parts, but I do think that Bradson remind me of that a lot, if memory serves. Yeah? Right.
2: Okay, okay. All right been a long time since you thought about him that's good
0: i would like to thank you both for like your candor i'd like to thank you both for educating me more than anything else um and yeah it's been it's been a joy to speak to you so thank you for joining us for this this special episode and we hope to have you both back on sometime soon
2: it's been a pleasure long time listener big guy (laughs) yeah
0: i like it when you call me big guy
2: (laughs) (laughs) i thought marty would be excited by it as well
1: well i don't know (laughs) i've seen a few Hello. <laughs> yeah, that's what it is. Uh.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Hello, tootamen. That brings us to the end of the show. We're off to get to work, brushing up on our vexillology. And um, what the bloody hell that is, I don't know. Well, I think it's something to do with flags. It's a study of flags, of course, don't you know? If you're enjoying the podcast, why not give us a rating on iTunes, which only takes us a minute and can really help us. You can also now give us star ratings on Spotify, so chuck some stars our way so we can feel like we're totally loved. Uh, retweet us, share a link, or post with the hashtag DecadesFromHome, all lowercase, on Twitter or Instagram. You can also support the podcast by going to kofi.com DecadesFromHome and contributing to keep us well-stocked with tea and beer and apparently more flags as ever if you have any questions feedback or maybe an article or topic you'd like us to cover you can tweet Simon on at decades from home you can tweet me at 40% German uh, you can also get us on 40% German at gmail.com if you have time take a look at 40% German.com weekly articles are up every Saturday all that's left to say is thanks and bis some next time. tschüss